Welcome to My Covid Diary. My name is Andrea Hardacre and this is My Covid Diary. Like everybody else worldwide, I'm trying to get to grips with a whole new lifestyle during the corona pandemic and I decided to chart my journey here. June 15th, 2020. My last diary entry was June 1st, but it never ended up being published. At that time, we were at the height of the Dominic Cummings scandal and the furore over the brutal killing of African-American George Floyd at the hands of the US police. I had questions and ruminations on both issues, but a traumatic family event took over and I'm only just beginning to feel slightly normal again. Perhaps I'll publish that episode further down the line. We'll see. It was the eve of my daughter's 16th birthday, a big event in the Hardacre household. She plans her birthdays the second Christmases out of the way. The weather forecast was mixed and I was disappointed because I had planned a bike ride, a picnic lunch and tea outside on the old benches the pair of us had recently painted together for the event. I remember being 16 very vividly, an age when the world seems to open up and, like a selkie, you shed your pubescent skin for something mysterious and new. We'd bought a couple of ciders for the event and promised a family party. However, as my other half and I prepared to walk into town to pick up a cake and a few supplies, the telephone rang. I knew immediately from Paul's body language that something was up. His voice was calm, but his body tense. He spoke gently to someone on the other end of the phone. I guessed it to be his mum. His voice was reassuring, soft, loving. His voice is always like that. If I put my head against his chest, I can feel it resonating. It's a comforting voice, but when he came off the phone, it was shaky. Dad's collapsed, he said. An ambulance is on its way. I need to go. I sat on my computer about to publish an episode of the diary, unable to take in what had just happened. We'd only seen my father-in-law the night before when we delivered his shopping. When we left, I'd actually remarked on how well he looked and asked Paul if his dad had been out in the garden, as he appeared to have caught the sun. How could he possibly just collapse? Waiting for word is always tense. The mind keeps wandering, swinging from one scenario to the next as time stops ticking, transforming itself into endlessly slow silence. It's an uncomfortable silence, like an elastic band stretched to capacity, and you know that any moment it might ping back and slap you right in the face. At last my phone buzzed. My father-in-law, let's call him Ray, had been taken off in an ambulance, confused. Paul was waiting at the house with his mum. I offered to walk up with our lab. Paul's mum was fond of the dog, and she's a calming influence. I sat in the porch, his mum in the kitchen, while we waited for word from the hospital. Once again, Paul remained calm. He's such a gentle soul and helped his mum to comprehend just what had happened. During COVID-19, the last place an elderly person wants to be is in hospital, although none of us really consider Ray to be elderly. 
Anxiety buzzed round our heads like a swarm of angry wasps. And then, several hours later, the call. The consultant was officious, explaining that Ray had experienced a bleed on the brain and was confused. They weren't sure yet what caused it, but due to his age there would be no resuscitation should any further complications arise. Paul and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary the week before. We've been through all sorts during that time, just like any other family. But in times of difficulty, Paul always holds fast, asks important questions, looks for solutions. Listening to the consultant during that phone call simply floored him. There was nothing, it seemed, he could do. It was heartbreaking. Within a couple of hours, his sister arrived. We decided to socially distance as much as possible while also trying to help. What other option do you have? None of us had been anywhere dangerous for several months. Yet still, we were being cautious. So there we were, four close relatives, several feet apart, waiting. It was only after a few hours I suddenly realised there was actually no need for Paul and I to socially distance from each other. We did have a little laugh about it. We were told none of us could visit the hospital, not even Paul's mum, who was frantic with worry, and it seemed incomprehensible. Every day for months on end, this was the very moment we dreaded. My parents are in Scotland, I haven't seen them since last year, and the thought of not being with them when they need me most is unbearable. Surely I'll be allowed in, Paul's mum said. I'm his wife. But this is what Covid has done to so many. Pinned them into place when their hearts are breaking. It was a long, long night. Eventually, later in the evening, Paul was given a phone link to his dad. The grandchildren had all sent messages. My two left alone with each other for comfort. And my niece stuck in London, in her flat. I couldn't help flashback to a memory of a phone call to my own grandmother as she lay in hospital. I thought I was prepared for that call, but you never are. There's always so much more that you could say. But Paul held it together and he did really well. The nurse said his dad was just staring at the phone and then gently said goodbye, promising to ring with any updates. It was an awful moment. We all felt so helpless. But the thing about my father-in-law is he's one of the most determined people I've ever met in my life. He's also one of the kindest and most courteous, and it's a courtesy he doesn't just keep for some people. He's like that with everyone he meets, even during a disagreement. I've learnt a lot from him over the years. We grew close through music. Ray has the biggest record collection in living history. He loves music and once uttered to me that he'd always wanted to play the banjo. Now, being a musician at heart, I'm always keen to encourage others to get involved, so when he retired, we bought him a banjo. It's fair to say that it sat in its case for a few years, while a man who had worked hard all his life navigated this new life free time. But then he found a teacher, and... Then he found a ukulele, and then he found a guitar. And now he has his own band that prior to Covid played regularly in old folks' homes to cheer them up. 
I've played with them often. It's always a giggle and a real privilege to play. They've worked hard and they're a tight little unit. So when I say Ray is determined, I'm not joking. He learnt to play guitar in his 60s and has kept going ever since, without any formal musical training ever in his life before. And that's not easy. So even though Paul was downhearted, I started to wonder. And sure enough, within a few hours, Ray was up and moving about, determined to walk around. Paul and I came home, still frightened and upset, attempting to reassure the kids while worrying about what was to come. The shadow of Covid always in our minds. Paul's sister remained with his mum, all of us shell-shocked. It was a long, long night. Since the children were we, I've been a light sleeper. We must have dozed off at some point, and then Paul made some kind of movement and I was awake in seconds. We chatted some, worried some, and waited for the day to begin. When the phone rang at eight o'clock, I knew instantly that something had changed. You are joking, is all I could hear Paul say, and I couldn't help smiling. I bet he's eaten his breakfast, I thought. And so he was. But more than that, Ray was talking and within an hour would be on the phone asking if we'd chased our insurance up for a bump we'd had in the car a week before. To say that doctors were astounded would be an understatement. The relief that washed over us was immense. We were told that Ray wasn't out of the woods yet, but things were looking positive. They say that timing is everything, and we can only be thankful that the fall didn't occur weeks before. With figures on the wane, there were only two people on the ward and none of them COVID patients. Ray was transferred to another nearby hospital for a minor operation. He sounded tired but in good spirits. It was a few days wait before the operation. But Paul's sister did a great job of keeping things going back home and between them they fielded hospital calls and made arrangements for their dad to get home. We've been so incredibly lucky, and we know it. Paul is only just recovering from a long illness himself, so it's been a rocky road. But when families work well, they work well. They're the people you rely on to provide a little humour, however dark, during tough times, to pull you through, to pull together. That's why they're so important. My own family rang or texted every single day to ask how things were, my mum fretting that she couldn't just jump on the train to be with us. Not everyone has the luxury of family or close family. We all have friends, but it's never quite the same. For some people, that's just the way it has to be. I understand that. I know there have been children who've died during COVID-19 without their parents by their side. Mothers, fathers husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, all separated by this horrible disease. The list goes on. Some families have suffered numerous losses due to this horrible pandemic, and I know on some level how their relatives felt. Trapped, unable to help, and in most cases, not ours, desperately alone. But here's a takeaway for a society which at this moment in time seems to be ripping itself apart with friction on every corner. As human beings, we have a checkered history. We make mistakes. We do terrible things in the name of religion, 
politics or simply the ethos of the time. But I truly believe that most people want to help. That's why we feel so helpless when something goes wrong. Most people want to reach out. That's why it's been such a devastating blow for those who can't. I'd wager too that most people in this world, despite their politics, religion, race or sexuality, want the same things, even if they do go about getting those things in different ways. We are, all of us, human. And most of us, I go as far as to say the majority, are good at heart. <laughs> 